They've got this beauty and this amazing ceremony and amazing connection to their own spirit. And it just gets overwhelmed by things that never really concerned them as people that got put on them. And how to, to work in that world is always a challenge for them. How can we go there and judge and say, oh, look at your poverty, when you realize like not even that long ago, they were doing their own thing in their own groove. And we came along and said, no, you're gonna do it this way. We stole their land, let's be honest. Welcome to another episode of Advocates in Action, a podcast created by the National Patient Advocate Foundation, a nonprofit that develops initiatives promoting equitable access to affordable quality healthcare through policy action and partnerships. Our primary objective is to prioritize the patient voice and health system delivery reform to achieve person-centered care. We are dedicated to amplifying the powerful stories of individuals and the collective needs of various communities across the country. I'm your host, Ashley Freeman, and today I get the pleasure of speaking with Ed Quinicelli, our main photographer. Ed, I miss not working with you in person because everything is virtual, but I'm grateful that you get to join us today and share about your work in rural areas. What ignited your initial interest in photography? Ashley, thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Great seeing you. Um, I started out, my father was uh, developing in the darkroom at home, so that kind of piqued my interest. And I got to college for something else, business related. And um, I drifted into photography there as well. They needed someone to cover uh, some kind of newspaper article. So I had a camera, so I did it. And I really liked it. And then when I got out, I got super lucky and found this photographer uh, in Philadelphia who was looking for a photo assistant who had to go into his studio and work with him every day. And even though I had no experience, he liked that because I was enthusiastic. I started to assist him and I made nothing but mistakes for an entire year, but I grew exponentially and then found that I really liked the small business aspect of photography and as well as a creative aspect. With everything happening now with social distancing, how has that impacted your work? Uh, it's impacted it a lot. I mean, there's lots of safety measures I have to do on set, and it keeps me a little disconnected from people, which is tough to overcome. It was pretty intense, but Temple University Hospital up here in Philadelphia hired me to document their COVID experience in the beginning. Of course, I was a little scared. You know, driving down to Philly from the suburbs where I live, I only saw one car, and I got to the parking lot. There was no cars. They had asked me to document everything I saw, and so what I saw was pretty horrific and pretty chaotic at that time. And I saw people coming together in a way that is very emotional. Uh, mostly young women I saw, a lot of frontline nurses up at Temple helping people and comforting them there at their last moments was uh, something I'll never forget, ever. Yeah, and I thank you for being on the front lines, you know, for accepting that, that challenge. And like you mentioned, that was a time that was really scary because it was, we were still in this, unknown of what was happening and and what was to come and and everything i mean going back to the enthusiasm piece i kind of jumped in before i really thought about it <laughs> it wasn't until i was actually there i was like okay i'm here now it, it just came down to how fragile we are as humans i felt very fortunate to be witnessing that and i wanted to show the dignity and i wanted to show the bravery when i grew up it was always about men on the front lines you know fighting wars i saw women doing this but it was like a very connected team. And what happened was that the leading lung uh, doctor at Temple, Dr. Kreiner, decided to call Wuhan, China, whereas most hospitals would bypass that. He called and connected with them and they gave him the wisdom on how to do it. And they've had one of the best numbers in the country as far as people going on ventilators and getting off. 
I saw so many heroes, it was unreal. On my website, there's a, there's a COVID story and I have listed the photos there and some of the uh, portraits that I made outside the um, ICUs. And they were moving patients constantly. But the thing that stuck with me was the compassion still was there in the midst of all the chaos. Everything that you explained about the, the compassion and communication between people, you know, instead of patients versus a provider, that's a different approach. But for you, you've always done this social justice work. In your past work, you've worked a lot with the Native American reservations. You know, tell me a little bit about that work. What did you see and learn? I was driving down a road near my house, and it was the oddest thing that said uh, an Apache woman is giving a talk at seven o'clock tonight. And I thought, wow, Apaches, like wow. In, in Pennsylvania, it's like an unheard of situation. It was very like informal discussion. And I thought, wow. So I attended that, that talk. And at that place, there were people from the Johns Hopkins Center for American Indian Health. And they were doing a small speaking tour and local communities up here speaking about Native American issues. And I immediately became fascinated by it. So that was 20 years ago. And so I said, in any way, I, can I volunteer in any way you need? And they said, sure, come along. And within a week, I was on the White Mountain Apache Indian Reservation out in northwestern Arizona. And my life began for the first time as a photographer that day. And what I saw wasn't necessarily the poverty that everybody talked about or I read about on the way, because I had no experience at that time up here in Philadelphia. To see a full reservation system inside a state was something I'd never witnessed. And so when I went there, what I really came away with was the connection, again, people with people, the way they treated the tribal members um, in spite of their hardships uh, was, I was like, okay, I'm doing it all wrong or we're doing it all wrong here or something. So I was, it just kept leading me back and back. And then I got to work with the kids there. And so um, that's how I started. And so uh, Johns Hopkins is an amazing place and the Center for American Indian Health serves public health uh, on the reservation. They have me document what they do, both video and stills, so that they can then get public servicing messages out on the reservation, anywhere from teenage pregnancy to teen suicide or suicide in general, um, alcohol, and of course, diabetes. So that's how they brought me into that. Yeah, my eyes started opening up to realizing that um, I have to be honest and say that I was brought up in a very comfortable you know, white middle class. I wasn't comfortable with that. I knew there was diversity in the world. I knew that there were other people in the world. My parents taught me that. It wasn't all about white, um, you know, supremacy for lack of a better term. It was about either serving others or seeing that the world isn't just you. So when I got there and realized, wow, like these were, this sounds so naive at the time, but or now, but back then it seemed real to me that I, it, they weren't just like brave Indians on the plains. They were real people struggling with real issues that um, were kind of put upon them. And to see um, the humor and the love and the connection in spite of it all uh, was very inspiring. And so I tried to always put that as a mission statement in my photos when I photographed them is to show the positive side. The poverty doesn't exist in my mind. It's just all external, you know. So um, when I saw that, I realized there's a lot to learn. Yeah. And I know that sometimes people have specifically, I know that sometimes photographers or people who are documenting vulnerable populations and populations, like you said, who have been put into certain situations, it's a thin line between exploiting that situation. So for you to say that at the heart of your work is joy and that humanity and connection as opposed to the struggle that everyone else wants to highlight. 
I think that that's a, a delicate balance that you, you have to do. And how did you learn to do that? Or does it come with trial and error? Or did you learn from them? What did that process look like? Before meeting that woman, I actually had somewhat of a dream. It was like a message in a way that you have the opportunity to serve this population and to be sensitive to them. On the way to the reservation, people from Hopkins would mentor you a little bit. They wouldn't necessarily come out and say that, but um, they weren't interested in that. So I kind of followed their lead. They were real givers. When I got there, I thought, wow, it's just, there's so much more here. It's just so obvious. It's really coming from them. You know, it's a little startling maybe, and it's upsetting because it's unnecessary, some of it that I see. Meaning like, you know, it could be so much easier for them if we we help them more. That's how I feel personally. And then I made my way up to uh, St. Stephen's, Wyoming, to the uh, Shoshone Arapaho tribes and the Assiniboi Sioux in Montana. And I started to see a commonality between all the tribes and much many differences, but also a commonality um, in that same spirit of connectedness and family. And uh, there wasn't a lot of like infighting that I see in my community. There wasn't like there's there's certainly humanity in that regard, but it's it's there's something else that's just missing. And I felt immediately welcomed. Here I am, a Caucasian with a camera. Um, and maybe they, and I, and the sense I got was they sensed and trusted me from a knowing place. It wasn't like they looked me up on LinkedIn. <laughs> it was like, I, I gave off a vibe. They got it and they were cool. It didn't, there wasn't like a whole lot of explanation going on. And I just so admired that. Like, wow, I want to get there one day where they can just kind of know and trust. That's not something that you can sell or teach someone that has to be innate. That has to be who you are. Like you are a good person. So your intentions were good. So the outcome was good. So I, I really admire that. And in either that process or other work that you've done with rural populations, have you ever encountered a situation that overwhelmed you or upset you and, and you drove that energy into your work and your project? Uh, the border towns, a lot of reservations are, I would consider them to be very racist or they're very disproportionately dismissive of the native population. That was very upsetting to see that because I value them so much. Then sometimes there'd be kids that I would photograph and find out that they, they had they had passed away. Um, and then there was one time at White River, uh, that's the White Mountain Apache Reservation. It's not unlike many reservations, but they had a rash of suicides of young people. And I thought, wow, it's not even on the news. And I brought my daughter at the time and we were photographing a camp and there was just funeral processions going by. And I thought, well, the world is going on. They were all teenagers. Had There's about eight of them at one time. And I was blown away and I started doing some investigating on that. And, and they just kind of like say, yeah, it's not uncommon for us. And I thought, this is just wild. wild. And so some of the kids that I had met and photographed over the time to see them uh, or hear about them passing away like that is really difficult. After all this time, what I've come to realize is like, you know, they've got this beauty and this amazing ceremony and amazing connection to their own spirit. And it just gets overwhelmed by things that never really concerned them as people that got put on them. And how to to work in that world is always a challenge for them. How can we go there and judge and say, oh, look at your poverty when you realize like not even that long ago, they were doing their own thing in their own groove. And we came along and said, no, you're going to do it this way. And the people, they don't want to adapt to that. They're their own culture, their own people. We, we, we stole their land. Let's be honest. That's how I feel. And there's, you know, that, you know, we want to decolonize that. Uh, but at the same time, there's a real world. They need help. They need to get these schools going. They need to get these, you know, they need to get the education going. They need to get their health care. So that's why Hopkins is there to, to support that balance. 
do you feel like with Hopkins and the work that they do, it's very much capacity building to, to be able to empower, you know, the community to be able to do that themselves? Because they know how to do it. It's just having the resources and the tools. When they get there, especially Allison, who's amazing, and her team, um, they're flexible to the needs of the community because they understand it's their community. So it's it's not like this is how you do it. And this is how you survive. It's call and response. And I've taken that with me everywhere I go. With all of your experiences of learning about the suicides and learning about the abductions and health issues, I can imagine that working in those types of situations and seeing that can be very heavy. So how do you keep yourself afloat after you've worked with such heavy information? I guess while I'm on the reservation, it's hard to, to really absorb what's happening because it's happening in real time. It hap- you know, it's afterwards when you start looking at the photos and you start thinking about it. Um, my process would be to continue to try to show the positivity in hopes that it reflects back to them and to anybody on the outside to understand this isn't just murdering and missing indigenous. This is not just poverty and suicide. There, there is beauty that's really, it's like a flower coming through the crack in a concrete, you know, like it's still going to happen. So uh, I keep to that ideal that you can't push it down. It, it's going to come no matter what. And so maybe these photos can help. So that helps me a little. I also am a Buddhist, so I take care of it that way. And my Buddhist practice, my emotional side of it doesn't always help. But also uh, just going back and looking at the photos and maybe um, thinking about those kids and trying to revisit and always show up and uh, send a photo back or try to connect. When I go back, try to find people I met, even it's just to say hi or give a picture or something. I know in addition to your work on reservations, uh, you also recently went down to some rural parts of North Carolina and did some work. What were some similarities or differences that you've seen? There's a lot of similarities and there's people that have been put in situations for generations that is not of their own making. And so there's a uh, generational sort of trauma, generational sort of thinking that people are trying to escape from and work with and get and get away from. These are people, wonderful, beautiful, awesome people that uh, count and that are real. And um, they, they just they just want to kind of uh, you know be themselves and, and not have all this weight on them. And so it's always a process of trying to get the weight off and have their lives. Yeah. What do you learn from your work with rural communities? What does it teach you? They always give me this appreciation for what I do. So I have the opportunity to show them what I see. In the rural communities, there's more time. And so you get a chance to uh, sit with people a little bit more, but it comes through, you know, the dignity is there. It's not the poverty. It's not the, the circumstances they may be in with their health. It's some cool story about when they were younger or some story that just happened to them with their grandchildren, or they'll they'll be more apt to tell you that than whereas the city's kind of busy and they don't, but it's the same thing. For me, my appreciation for photography has always been because you get to capture that moment, you know, that interaction, that experience, that environment that might be fleeting, you know, that might never be able to be recreated. And I think because of the ability to capture those moments, that photography can really be an agent of change. So for you, how do you see photography being an agent of change? You know, if we see people in situations, how does it motivate us to act? That's a great question. 
Well, photography more than anything now is everywhere. You can take more pictures with your phone and, and have that camera with you at all times. I guess that, that, that I'm learning, still learning after 28 years of doing it as a professional is to always express yourself from your viewpoint, not give me a photo or take a photo that somebody else may have taken or you're copying something you've learned in a workshop, but to really come at it from your perspective and to try to connect your heart to your camera. And that'll make the most beautiful photo because it's, it's your voice in that. And so the agent of change piece is important because if you're honest about what you see in front of you and take it, chances are it's gonna impact somebody. You know what I mean? Other than just making a copy of what you may have seen on Instagram, which is fun and that, that makes it a hobby. But when you wanna go a little bit deeper and connect, you've gotta come from your own point of view, whatever it might be. And that's what's fascinating because photography is so easily overlooked. It's kind of easy to do. You just get a nice photo. You can manipulate it and make it look pretty good. But the really good photographs will be good for a hundred years from now because somebody put their voice into it. Photography and writing are similar. It's just that it's a visual as opposed to something that's written down and it's your point of view. So my point of view is the dignity piece is the connection. I want to show people what I'm feeling at that moment about somebody. It's not always positive, but I think you can always try to find something in there, you, you know, strength or something else, because you got to go below the surface. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Ed, for joining us today. This has been so much. an amazing conversation. I appreciate it. And uh, please visit my website or my Instagram page. And uh, please email me with any questions or comments. I'm happy to talk further. I'm Ashley Freeman, and thanks for listening to this episode of Advocates in Action. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Your support is greatly appreciated. We enjoy connecting with our listeners, so please visit our website at npaf.org slash podcast for show notes, resources, and ways to engage with us on social media. Thanks for listening.